Luke chapter 12, continuing our series, going verse by verse and passage by passage through the gospel of Luke. Today we're going to cover by the grace of God verses 8 down to 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 down to 12. The title of my sermon today is, What You Need When You Need It. What you need when you need it. And let's read these verses and then I'll explain further as to why that title would be appropriate. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 down to 12. The Bible says here, Jesus speaking, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. So for a few minutes, I'd like to preach to you a sermon called What You Need and When You Need It. And before we get into that, let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's pray together and ask God to help us. Father, you said that anytime we need, we can approach the throne of grace and we can find grace and mercy and help in a time of need. So Lord, you know what we need and when we need it. Father, I'm acknowledging today that we can't do this without you. We don't want to do this without you. Please come down and through the Holy Spirit, do something today that only you can do. Touch hearts, change lives, open eyes. God, please help people to see what they need and help them to see they need it now. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you remember last week's sermon... As we finished up, the last point was about not fearing your problems. And we talked specifically, the passage is about not fearing persecution, but how that general truth of fearing your problems could also be applicable. And Jesus now takes that same thought about not being afraid during times of trouble, and he's going to dovetail that into a separate subject. So it's one thing to say, don't be afraid. But then the question comes up, how am I going to accomplish that? How? And this is where I want to say the Holy Spirit of God will give you just what you need when you need it. Because sitting here in your padded chair this morning, we enjoy the comforts of God's blessing. And, and thank God for that. We need not feel conviction that God has been good to us. We should be very thankful for that. Amen. Amen. Be very thankful for that. But we also know that life is not all padded chairs. There are going to be tough days and who knows what lies ahead for us as Christians. And perhaps the thought might even trouble your heart to the point of scaring you. What would I do in such a horrible situation? I can promise you this. The Holy Spirit of God will give you just what you need right when you need it. And I believe that's what Jesus is going to focus on our attention on today. So let's look at piece by piece at this passage, starting in verse, verses 8 and 9. Let me say, first of all, right when you need it most, 
the Spirit of God is going to give you empowerment, or might we just say courage. He, Jesus does not mention the Holy Spirit in verses 8 and 9, but you can see how the Lord's mind is shifting towards that. Because in verses 10, 11, and 12, the conversation goes towards the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Does Jesus expect us to stand when things are incredibly difficult? Yes. He expects a lot of his followers. Confess me before men, he says. Be careful not to deny me before men. He gives his disciples, his friends, a charge and a warning. But let's be clear. When he says, confess me before men, he is not saying, I expect you to confess me before your fellow church members. Okay? You should. Amen. Don't be afraid to give a little amen on that point. I mean, that, that's kind of leaning into the whole confession part. You know, this is part of what baptism does. It gives you an opportunity to confess before men that you are unashamed of your Savior, that you desire to follow God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost completely, that you want to be obedient. But the confession before men that Jesus is referring to, understand it within its context. They are seeking to kill you. And under those extreme circumstances, he says, I still expect you to stand for me when everyone else is trying to put you down. Now, there are rewards and there are consequences for confessing and denying him. And might I say, if you're saved or if you're lost, the, the rewards and the denial, uh, the consequences, that's going to change perhaps. Jesus doesn't even get into explaining what kind of rewards comes for taking this courageous stand and what type of punishment might come for those that deny. There's actually multiple layers to that and perhaps another time we'll dig into that. Can we at least just make this point and agree on this? That when it's tough, you still need to confess Christ and when it's tough, you, you need to be careful not to deny Him. I mean, that's, that's the simple thought of this passage. But then the question does come up. Under intense persecution, okay, that's what Jesus expects, but how? How am I going to stand when they put me under this kind of pressure? Don't be afraid. It's not only don't deny, don't even be afraid. Lord, how? If you ask me this question and expect me to give an answer from my own natural abilities, I do not see how I could withstand such persecution. If they are taking my family and torturing them, trying to get me to recant and turn on Christ, I don't know how in my own natural ability I am going to stand that test. I, I don't see it. But that's right when the Spirit of God is going to show up and give you just what you need right when you need it. And that's why I believe Jesus begins to talk about how the Holy Spirit will show up right when you need it. There is going to come a time, folks, I don't know when, but there will come a time when we will no longer be allowed to go out seeking sinners and trying to give them the gospel. That time is coming. I would dare say it's rapidly approaching. You understand that in South Africa, we are incredibly blessed to have the privilege of confessing Christ openly. No fear of a jail sentence, of a firing squad, shackles, torture. That has not been the case for the majority of Christians throughout the history of the church. Even in the world today, do you understand there is more persecution happening now today in the world than ever before in the history of the church? It's just not happening here. 
There is coming a day when we will not be allowed to seek after sinners. But let me say that there is coming a day when the sinners will seek after us. And they will ask you whether or not you confess Christ. Right now, the tables are turned. We are allowed to approach them. By the way, we are commanded to approach them and preach the gospel to every creature, to go to them and say, do you confess Christ? Will you accept Christ? Will you receive or reject? But there's coming a day that they will come to us and say, are you a follower of Christ? Are you one of those people that believes in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God and they will push us to the brink? You need to know that this stands in the Bible. That even under those intense situations, Jesus expects us to confess Him before men. The great reward of that, imagine standing before the Father one day and Jesus coming and standing next to you and saying, Father, this one wasn't ashamed of me. No matter what the devil threw at him, he stood for me. What an an immense compliment. Even this week, I, I was preparing this sermon. I'd already spent three or four days putting it together. And I received a message from someone in town showing me that South Africa is just about, they're on the brink of signing into legislation various measures that will shut down our religious freedom. It will become illegal for me to stand in the pulpit. And even for you, in your everyday conversations, to say things like a man is a man. A woman is a woman. To say that a woman cannot be a pastor to say that biblically there are roles in the home, the man is the head of the home, certain things like that that is very biblical, to say that marriage is this and that, we won't even be able to express our thoughts on that. There is coming a day when to stand and say, I believe the Bible means what it says and says what it means, I believe every word in it within its context, you would face charges. It would be a crime. It would be a hate crime. Folks, we cannot be ignorant of history lest we repeat it, lest we allow history to repeat itself. So let me just remind you of something that is of historical significance. Are you familiar with the word inquisition? How many of you know this word inquisition? Some of you. In 1184, the year 1184, the inquisition started in France. It then quickly spread to Spain, Italy, Bohemia, and other European countries. It eventually made its way into South America. It only fizzled out in the 1800s. And in some places, they still kind of do it. But what you could do, you could go to the local authorities of the Roman Catholic Church and say, this person in town is a born-again Christian. Only one person had to make the accusation. You would then be arrested based on the accusation of one man. And no one ever had to tell you who made the accusation. You would be arrested if... Nobody could prove that you, had actually, that you were actually a born-again Christian. Then you would have to pay a penance. You still had to pay a fine, even though you had done nothing wrong, but just based on the accusation. If, however, they called you in and they said, Sir, do you believe everything that the Catholic Church teaches and the Pope teaches? And you said, No. Are you one of those born-again people? Have you been baptized since your new birth and etc.? Because those are things that... Bible believers do. They said, yes, I believe in that. They were given two options. Number one, give up your faith. Deny Christ. We will let you live, but you'll live out the rest of your life in prison. 
or confess Christ before men and we will burn you alive. That's how it went for several hundred years in Western civilization where we think we are advanced. (laughs) That's what it would cost you. A man named Nicholas Burton, let's at least give him his honor today. How many of you have ever heard the name Nicholas Burton? I hadn't, not until this week. I had read about him before, but I had to reread the story to remind myself. In the year 1560, Nicholas Burton was a Spanish, a Spaniard. He was a merchant, but he would trade and go back and forth between London and Spain. One day, a man came into his shop and said, uh, where, where is your shipment coming in at? And was just talking business with him, just talking shop. The man was an undercover spy with the Inquisition. He was finding out where all of his goods came in at. As soon as Mr. Burton told him where the trade route was, the guy then called for the soldiers that were waiting outside. They came in and arrested him because it had been reported that Nicholas Burton was an outspoken Christian. They seized him. They took all of his assets and they went to the dock, to the the port, and took all of his chuters, all of his stuff. They arrested him. And when he got into prison, he began to win the other prisoners to Christ. A few shackles was not going to shut this man up. So Burton began to witness to the other prisoners, and the other Catholics that were in prison started to get saved. So the the Catholics that had put him into prison, the inquisitors said, well, we can't have him here, and started to move him around from prison to prison, trying to get him to stop witnessing the people. Eventually, he ended up in Seville, the city of Seville in Spain, and they called him officially before his inquisitors because there was a board of various priests that would ask you certain questions to see if you were worthy of death. They knew that this man was outspoken already. So as he walked into what we would consider maybe a courtroom type of atmosphere, they did not want him to be able to speak about his faith because he was incredibly convincing. They pulled his tongue out, shoved a stick through it, so that he could not speak. They said, sir, you are sentenced to death immediately. They took him outside to burn him. As he was marching, being marched rather, to the pile of sticks and the stake where they would burn him, he had such composure that his inquisitors actually said, the devil has already taken his mind because he's beyond feeling. No one can approach their death with such peace and contentment. But, oh, friend, we know the story's different. Our brother, Nicholas Burton, his enemies couldn't see it, but there was somebody right there with him the whole time, giving him just what he needed right when he needed it. How do you stand in such moments? Well, the the lost world, forgive me, the lost world's not going to recognize it. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. They'll say, the devil has taken his mind. And we say, no, no, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, giving a peace that passes all understanding to say, you stood for Christ and now Christ is going to stand with you in the moment of your trial. The Bible says... 2 Timothy 4, Paul's talking about his afflictions and persecution. He says, at my first answer, he also stood before a tribunal. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Paul went on to say, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. 
and strengthened me. No man stood with him. And he said, I will not give up on my Savior. The Lord, he said, stood with me and strengthened me. Paul told us that he prayed for his converts various things. One thing he prayed for them is that they might be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. So perhaps today we are not facing intense persecution and no one is trying to burn you to death. But perhaps you're just feeling the pains of being alive, just troubles from the world. And it's a little difficult to stand for what you believe. Just know that when it gets tough, the Holy Spirit's going to be right there with you, standing, supporting, strengthening, giving you the courage you need to take whatever stand is necessary right when you need it. He knows what you need and when you need it. There's another thing in this passage let's address in verse number 10. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. And this part I think many people are familiar with for various reasons. But unto him that blasphemeth the Holy Ghost, against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. So the first thing the Holy Spirit will give you is empowerment or courage right when you need it. But the second thing I believe the Holy Spirit will give you is evidence. Now this actually goes back before you get saved. The Holy Spirit, as He's drawing you to Christ and teaching you about Christ and your need for Him, He doesn't ask you to believe Him blindly. The Holy Spirit will provide evidence. So let's dig into this a little bit. Jesus is making a difference here between what the Son of Man can do and what the Holy Spirit can do. Let's understand this. The Jews, when Jesus was on the earth, they were grossly confused about the Messiah. They didn't even know what to expect. They knew that a Messiah would come. But they didn't know exactly what the Messiah should do. In their minds, it was this. The Messiah will show up, beat the enemy, give us our kingdom back, the end. That was it. They did not understand anything about repent and a spiritual kingdom being restored and sins being forgiven. They didn't see that. They did not see the death, the burial, and the resurrection of their Messiah. They missed all that. So when the Son of Man came preaching, what did he say? Repent. The kingdom of his, the kingdom's at hand. And the Jews thought, well, okay, the Messiah is supposed to give us the kingdom, but what's this repentance stuff? Why aren't you out there beating up these Gentiles and killing these Romans and giving us our kingdom? If you're the Messiah, that's what you should do. So Jesus was saying some very strange things that Jews did not typically say. What did he say in his famous Sermon on the Mount? Ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, don't do this, 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 but I say unto you. He was bringing in some new ideas that Jews, even to this day, do not accept. Jesus taught us that evil comes from within, out of the abundance of the heart. That's where evil and wickedness proceeds. A Jew doesn't think like that. A Jew thinks it's okay if things are not right inside as long as you don't do anything wrong on the outside. So Jesus is introducing some new teachings. He said the Messiah has to die. That was new information. He said that the religion of their day was useless and even harmful. New information. So what's going to happen? Jesus is out there preaching, preaching, preaching. What do people do when you have some radical new preacher on the scene they begin to talk and somebody says hey did you hear what the messiah what this uh 
This guy who's claiming to be the Messiah said, did you hear what this Jesus guy is claiming? And they start talking about it. And they go, I don't agree with that. No, Jesus can't be right about that. That can't be right. No, 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 no. That's not what we believe. We're Jews. We don't believe that. Come on, that's not how it is. And they would say awful things about the Son of Man. Jesus said, I'll, we'll, we'll forgive you for that. Because if you just heard somebody saying something contrary to what you've heard for a thousand years, maybe it might take time to sink in. So we could forgive that. But if you showed up in the presence of Jesus and heard him preach the message and then watched him do the miracles, my friend, you are seeing a different level of evidence. This is not what one guy said uh, that he heard Jesus say at the meeting. You saw Jesus casting out devils, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead. You are witnessing, listen to this, the greatest evidence heaven had ever offered mankind. It is the Son of Man through the power of the Holy Ghost confirming the word that Jesus was speaking. That is as good as heaven could do. Jesus, when they, when they pushed him on it, they said, show us another sign. Show us another sign. He said, you evil and adulterous generation, I'll give you one more sign. I'll give you the resurrection, and that's all you get. And by the way, that is the chief, greatest evidence that God's ever given mankind is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you want to say that during the days of Jesus, somebody might have disagreed with his sermon or one of his teachings, that can be a separate issue. But when you see him perform these miracles confirming the word that's what the blasphemy against the holy ghost was to say that jesus is doing this through the power of the devil he's a liar and he's not filled with the holy spirit he's filled with an unclean spirit that is the sin that could not be forgiven because you had taken heaven's greatest evidence and said that it came from the devil anybody whose mind and heart is that hardened and that gone jesus says i'm sorry there's no way back from that let me be clear, today you cannot commit this form of blaspheming the Holy Ghost because you are not witnessing Jesus doing miracles. That could only happen when you saw him do the miracle and then you said he did it by the power of the devil. But let me be also, I want to be clear on this. Even though we cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the same way these Jews were doing, you can still blaspheme him. And that is still a very grievous and horrible sin. Because even though today we don't have Jesus on the earth doing the same miracles that he once did, the Holy Spirit is still here working. He's doing it this morning. Say, so how do you know? Well, sometimes you can see it on a person's face. <laughs> they start to get a little squirmy, and they start to get a little nervous, and they start to look around, and they say, you know, where's the door? And... I know, I've been there. I was lost at one time too. <laughs> I get it. You know how I know it's happening? Because Jesus said it would happen. That's how I know it's happening. That after Jesus goes back to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would reprove the world of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. So I know he's doing it because Jesus said he would do it. And when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he will begin to draw you to teach you, to convict you, to show you what you need to see so that you can get to Christ. He'll give you what you need when you need it. You might even show up on a Sunday 
and your heart has been softened by whatever's going on in your life out there in the world, and you come into the church service, and you hear something from the Bible, and you think the preacher's been reading your emails. He hasn't. That's just the Holy Spirit getting you ready, drawing you, preparing you for the truth. And then he says, here it is. Here's what you need. And the way the Holy Spirit works, listen, he not only points out the problem, he points out the answer. That's one way you know the difference between the work of the, uh, the Holy Spirit and the work of an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit will say, oh, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Never giving you an answer. Just making you worried and scared. The Holy Spirit will cast out fear. He'll say, here's the problem, but there's the answer, and point you straight to the cross. And say, get to Jesus Christ as fast as you can. The Holy Spirit is still working today. Let me say that it is possible for you to resist that. You can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. You can can keep Him at arm's length. You feel what He's doing. You understand what He's doing. You can see what he's pulling you towards, but you keep kicking against it. What did Jesus tell Paul when he met him on the road to Damascus? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So while you are not witnessing Jesus do a miracle, and you're not saying Jesus was full of the devil, you are still resisting the Holy Ghost. What more would you like for him to show you? What further evidence would you like? We have a a Bible perfectly preserved. We know that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again. We can explain it clearly. We'd like to give you answers, perhaps if you have questions. But I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit, whatever the issue is, will give the sufficient evidence for whatever you're lacking so that you can come to Christ. But but pastor, what if I've gone too far? What if I've resisted too long? Is there any hope? Let me give you another seemingly hopeless case. Do you remember this in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen preached? What a wonderful sermon he preached. At the end of it, you know what he told those Jews? He said, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Right? Do you know who was standing there listening to that? Saul. Who we later know as Paul. Paul was one of that crowd. You say, but but preacher, if we resist the Holy Ghost, then Jesus says we'll never be forgiven. If you watched him do the miracle and then said he had an unclean uh, unclean spirit, you can't be forgiven of that. But today, if you're hearing the gospel, maybe you've been hearing it for weeks and months and you keep putting it off and putting it off. You've been resisting. And like Saul, maybe you want to continue to resist. But eventually Jesus shows up and says, hey, what more do you need, Saul? Here I am, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. You see, he'll give you what you need when you need it. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that? Resist or receive? It all comes down to how you respond to it. Let's look at one more thing here in chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. The Holy Spirit, I believe, will give you that empowerment. He'll give you the evidence. But then finally, he'll also give you an answer, something that you can say, not just the answer that you're seeking for questions in your mind and heart, but he'll give you the right things to say in a difficult situation. In verse 11 and 12, when they bring you unto the synagogues, unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. You know, I know some pastors that, that use this verse to say they don't need to study for their sermons. 
They can just get right up in the pulpit and the Holy Ghost will just tell me what to say. Well, you're not preaching in a synagogue or the magistrate. (laughs) I, I don't believe in that kind of sermon preparation. I will say this, however. I've found this many times to be true. I can prepare the sermon, have it all worked out, and then as I'm up here, something just, you know, the phrase we use is it comes to mind. Where did it come from? We say the thought came to me. Where did it come from? I don't think I'm smart enough to know what to say. (laughs) I don't want to lean on my own wisdom. I I believe that while I'm up here, if I've done my, my homework prepped and studied and prayed and said, God, please lead me that, yes, maybe the notes will come through, but there'll be something that needs to be said. And the Holy Spirit right then just whispering behind saying, now put that in there. (laughs) So-and-so showed up this morning. Say that. (laughs) I don't even know you're here. (laughs) But he does. So while I don't think that Jesus is talking about a man in the pulpit preaching, I think there's some great truth in verse 12. The Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. So let's understand this again within its context. He's promising his friends, his disciples. They have already confessed him before men. That's why they're in trouble. Do you understand that? They've already passed the test of verse 8. That's why they're in the trouble of verse 11. And now their accusers, their enemies, who want to twist their words are asking them difficult questions. He says, don't even worry, don't panic about it. I'm going to give you something to say right when you need to say it. I think, well, I know that Jesus is talking about persecution, but I also want to say this. I think this applies to any difficult moment that a Christian may find himself in. Let's say you're at work, And you're trying to run your business as a Christian ought to. Somebody perhaps is going to challenge your faith and say, hey, why don't you do it like the rest of the business world? Why don't don't you compromise on these things, on that? You know, we could get more business. We could get more revenue if you would just cut these corners. And questions are going to come up. and, And perhaps you're worried, how am I going to answer this? In that moment, somebody who has been walking with Christ, they will have been studying their Bible. That's why they took the position they did at work. You say, now why is that important? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance things that he has said. So somebody that is standing for Christ like they ought to, studies the word of Christ, and now that you have those words in you, right when you need an answer, the Holy Spirit reaches down into that log of of memory that you have, that, that memory log. He reaches down in there and says, this is the one you need. Here's the answer. This is why you as a Christian stand for this and that. So yes, it's persecution, but I believe it's bigger than that. Can I ask you to turn over to Acts chapter 4? God, I'd like to give you an illustration of this from the Bible. Acts chapter 4, please. It has been my experience that when the most difficult trials of my faith, in whatever version they are, whether it's persecution or big decisions I have to make, whatever it is, It is in those times that I see the Holy Spirit giving the most answers. 
things that I've read in the Bible dozens of times, hundreds of times even, but I, it, it never grabbed me like that before because I was never in that situation before. But now that I'm there and I'm reading through and the Holy Spirit says, there it is. And something from the scripture will just grab hold of my heart and say, that's the answer to your situation. That's what you need to do. Over and over again, it is those trials of our faith that allows the Holy Spirit opportunities to do things in our lives we never thought possible. We never would have expected it. Fact of the matter is, guys, I, I said the title of my sermon is What You Need When You Need It. We don't know what we need nor when we need it. You say, what's it? Anything. <laughs> we don't understand just how much we need the Spirit of God. And rarely do we know exactly when we need it. You know, it might just be, can I just put this out here? It might just, this is not in the notes, it's one of those little from the, from the behind moments. There might be something coming up tomorrow that the Lord knows you're about to face, and you need to hear something today, and He's giving you the answer right now. Right? Just grab onto that, and just hang on to that. It's one of those back pocket moments, you know, take that, okay, that sounds right, let me put it back here just in case. Acts chapter 4, let's look together please at verse number 5. Acts 4 and verse 5, it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, now the them are the apostles, specifically Peter, they asked by what power or by what name have you done this? He had healed a lame man. Everybody knew this lame guy all the time. He was sitting there in Solomon's porch. Everybody saw this miracle that was going to the temple. Very public miracle. And now these religious leaders who have power to detain the apostles, who gave you the ability, who gave you the authority to do this? Now remember, these are the ones that just had Jesus crucified. These are some powerful people. They are influential people. In verse 8, then Peter, help me with this next phrase, filled with the who? Filled with the Holy Ghost. This means the night before, Peter's been arrested, he's in prison, now they've pulled him out, they're going to ask him questions. I can just picture it, Peter bringing to mind what Jesus taught him. They're going to pull you into synagogues and before the magistrates and before the powers and ask you questions. Don't you worry. The Holy Spirit's going to give you just what you need when you need it. And Peter's just leaning back there in the prison going, well, this ought to be fun. <laughs> we'll see what the Lord does tomorrow. You see, as, as Christians with these exceeding great and precious promises, we can approach life with a very different uh, outlook because we know the Holy Spirit will not leave, will not forsake. He will be there. Filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. Oh, man, Peter, why'd you have to put that in there? By the way, you killed him. <laughs> whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead... Even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. <laughs> He's getting personal. Which has become the head of the corner. And then this famous verse, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby 
we must be saved. So I want to bring out one very important point here. Please listen in on this. I don't want you to get confused on my last point. The Holy Spirit will give you the empowerment. He'll give you the evidence you need so that you come to Christ. He will give you the answer you need. He'll give you the answer you need. Not the answer that will get you out of trouble so that you can go home and go home with your, with your comfort. But the answer that is needed. And the answer that is needed is an answer that will glorify and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how Peter does not give an answer that would lead to his freedom? If anything, he's stoking the fires of hatred against him. But this is the answer that needs to be given. How did you do this? Why did you do this? This is all about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. The whole thing is to prove that he is the head and that you need him. Understand that the trials of your faith are not there. Let's say God is allowing them to happen, not just because he likes to watch his children suffer. God allows it to happen because through those trials, the Holy Spirit draws closer to you, teaches you things you never would have known, and this is how he can also reach others. You, at those moments, can shine more brightly than ever before because the Holy Spirit shines through. You and your strength wouldn't know what to say or what to do or how to stand. Such is the story of a very famous Christian named Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor in a place called Smyrna. How many of you remember that from Revelation chapter 2? Smyrna is one of the churches in Revelation. Polycarp, as we know from history, was probably the pastor at Smyrna when the book of Revelation was written. Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. Polycarp was an older man when they finally came to arrest him. They had moved him from city to city. The Christians had trying to hide him because he was so well respected. When his captors came to take him, they said, why are we arresting such an aged man? He was... 86 years old at the time. They said, why? why? This man does not look like a, a threatening person. What possible difference could he make? It wasn't Polycarp. It was the Spirit of God through Polycarp. This man had a walk with God. When they came to take him, he said, uh, I'll let you arrest me, but will you let me pray first? So the soldier said, well, okay, I guess that's harmless. And they let him pray for about two hours. I mean, he didn't give a time limit, right? So, let me pray. Take, take, he took his time. And the soldiers, a, after he got done praying, they said, how can we do this to such a godly man? They, they didn't get saved, but they realized this is an innocent man. This is a good and a godly man. When they finally brought Polycarp into the arena where they would finally put him to death, the pro-council, the governor, stood up and said, Polycarp, listen, you're an older gentleman. I, I don't want to do this to you. Just offer sacrifice to Caesar and, and, and recant. Don't, don't put yourself through this. Die a peaceful death. And he said, I, I can't do that. I, I'll, I'll never do that. And he said, okay, listen. <laughs> come with me, come. And they brought him into the arena, into the middle of it. And, and one more time, the governor tried again and said, please, Polycarp, all I need you to do is, is, is say down with the atheist. Meaning the atheists were Christians at the time. 
The Romans considered Christians to be atheists because we rejected all the Roman gods. And even the crowd in the arena was chanting, down with the atheist, down with the atheist, talking about the Christians being fed to the lions and being burned alive. So the governor said, Polycarp, just raise the hand and agree with them and say, down with the atheist and join our side, please. To that, Polycarp raised his hand to the crowd, pointed at all the people and said, down with the atheist, <laughs> pointing at the Romans, down at the atheist, <laughs> down with the atheist. <laughs> They gave him one last chance. Please, Polycarp, just turn. And he gave this very famous line, which has survived to this day. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who saved me? And with that famous line, the governor stopped trying. He never gave him another chance. He said, Polycarp, you've left me no choice. They took him to the center where they were going to burn him. They gathered the sticks together. And they were going to nail his feet to the stake so that he couldn't run off. Polycarp said, you don't need to do that. I'm not going anywhere. So they didn't. He stood there as they piled the wood around him. As, as he was, perhaps this would be good to, to know. For, I'm a little out of order here now. But as he was approaching the arena, some of the soldiers that were bringing him in actually heard a voice from heaven saying, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Multiple witnesses said they heard that. Because the Lord's going to stand with you and give you just what you need right when you need it. Polycarp, as the story goes, stood there, resolute in his faith, tied to the stake but not nailed to it, and as they lit the fire, the fire didn't touch him. As the story goes, and again, multiple witnesses, some of them hostile, they said the fire went around him. Just like you would read in, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire didn't touch him. It burned around him. They said that what they had to do is call the other soldiers in to bring a spear and pierce him, much like they did with Jesus, because he, wouldn't, he, he wasn't dying. He was just getting a tan. <laughs> Seriously, they said his skin was turning bronze. <laughs> he was just getting a tan, so they put the spear in and the blood rushed out and extinguished the fire. But because of piercing his side, he did die. To the very end, until the flames took his voice, the people could hear Polycarp praying, singing, praising God. He gave him just what he needed right when he needed it. He gave him the answer, listen, not that would glorify Polycarp, but would make everybody in attendance that day realize that the one whom Polycarp serves was with him till the end. It glorified the God who sent his son to die for our sins. That's the answer the Holy Spirit will give you. Perhaps today you're seeking answers. Maybe you're going through some really rough times, for whatever the reason. The Holy Spirit, I promise, will give an answer. It may not be the one you're looking for, but it'll be the one you need. One thing is for sure, when it comes to the Holy Ghost, He'll give you just what you need, right when you need it. Now it's up to you not to resist, but rather to receive what He's trying to offer. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a moment. Consider what we've heard. The pianist will come.
I know it's warm today, and I appreciate your patience under such circumstances. But after hearing a sermon like this, let's acknowledge that we have it really, really easy. While we can, let's praise the Lord as much as possible. While there's no challenge to it, while there's no threat. Perhaps today, friend, you're here and you know that you need to be saved. You know it. You know, you've just been putting it off. I'm asking you today to no longer keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length. Put your arm down and let him come in. Just yield. There is some very, listen, the Holy Spirit can give you such strong evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. So strong that it will carry you through all the way to your death. That's how strong the evidence is. some of you are facing some difficult situations at work, school, family. You just don't know what to say. You don't know how to answer these problems. Take a moment and say, Lord, I I will wait for you to give me the answer. I believe that you'll give me the answer. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally, and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. time to do their business with God. The song that's playing now says, spread the tidings round. Wherever man is found, the comforter has come. You might want to just acknowledge that, Christian, that even right now today, the comforter is standing there with you. He shall be with you and dwell in you forever. If you're here today and you know that you've been putting off salvation but today you want to make that right, if you need some help with that, you can just slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. I won't embarrass you. I'll just pray for you. Anybody like that? The pastor pray for me. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm saved. But I, I don't want to resist the Spirit of God anymore. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Anybody else just, like I said, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just want to pray for you. As soon as we're done with the service, we'll dismiss. We'll get ready for the baptism. But please know, you got some questions? I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I'll try to show you what he wrote in his book. Try to show you the evidence that he left behind for us. Infallible proof. 
Father, thank you. Thank you today for working in our midst. Lord Jesus, thank you. You knew that this would not be easy. What you ask of us as your disciples, in our own strength, in our own wisdom and ability, we cannot accomplish these things. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to give us that courage, to give us the conviction, to give us the correct answer. Lord, we want to have an answer that glorifies you. I pray for those that lifted the hand. Father, please, might you touch their heart. And might they leave today with an assurance that they know that the Son of God lives lives in their soul. Thank you, Father, as we leave. We know that you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Bless the baptism. Thank you, Father, for dealing with us. In Jesus' name, amen.